Welcome to the Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and how it impacts all of us. Join us to learn about the state of the industry and the latest innovations and trends. Connect with the thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers helping to shape your future through broadband. The Broadband Bunch, as always, sponsored by ETI Software. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Broadband Bunch. My name is Pete Pizzatello, and I am joined today by Asim Parikh from the Open Networking Foundation. Asim, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure. How's the event going so far? It's been going great. It's great. I know you have a couple of speaking opportunities coming up. Um, but before we get into a little bit about what you see going on in the marketplace, maybe you can help us understand your background. How did you end up in uh, the role that you're, you're in today? Uh, no, fair question. Uh, uh, started journey started for me about 27, 28 years ago, uh, right out of grad school, uh, got into networking. And uh, networking was at that time primarily around the LAN and VAN space. And, right. and my first uh, startup uh, just happenstance, it's uh, always good to be lucky uh, than to be smart, <laughs> That's right. uh, was Exelan, which was acquired by a, a company called Novell, which is where Netware, uh, the LAN uh, networking operating system came out of. Okay. And uh, that got me into the networking space. Uh, Novell was growing uh, every year, uh, 100% growth. So I, I was the one who was chartered to make Novell speak Intel IP, so TCP IP. And uh, I was the architect of Netware over, Netware over IP project and then worked and sat on multiple panels at NASA and other places, which got me more thinking about the the real impact of networking right uh, and uh, and uh, you know one thing led to another no novel wanted me to go and lead an engineering team in india so i moved back to india af after you know i started my work in san jose california moved back to india for two years came back and then the bug of entrepreneurship and, and software uh, silicon valley struck me uh, right. got uh, into technology and decided that uh, I'll kind of, uh, you know, uh, look at the broader side of technology, not only the technology as an implementation, but really the impact and, and how I can move the needle. Uh, so we started uh, a small company, which, you know, again, being lucky at the right time, uh, was in 99 acquired by uh, Cisco. And uh, that uh, company basically created something called the Cisco Transport Manager, which is uh, a large network management platform for all their optical gear. And okay. this was when Cisco was buying optical companies almost every other month. Uh, so I was on eight due diligences and we overall paid out about $10 billion uh, wow. in the market uh, to acquire companies like Serent and Monterey and Keaton and, and uh, Pirelli in, the, in Italy and I mean, a bunch of these companies. And, and every time we would acquire these companies, there would be a plethora of new hardware equipment which would come with those acquisitions, sure. which my platform had to go and manage. Uh, and it became just a, you know, a continuous kind of rat race of just chasing the next, uh, in, in by the time you finish integrating the software for in managing one device, the, the device software would change, and <laughs> then you'll start all over again. Right. <laughs> so so uh, anyway, long story short, uh, that, uh, that is the, my background. Uh, soon after that, uh, I uh, got out of that and said, okay, maybe there is a better way of building systems. And uh, the first uh, thing I tried was building silicon uh, out of that. So my next startup was a silicon company. 
I was hired. Uh, I don't know anything about silicon. I'm a software guy, as I told you. But uh, the founding uh, founder of the company said, I have enough silicon people. I need to understand what the application of the silicon is going to be. So I became a product manager. So I kind of went from the technology side to the dark side <laughs> and, and became the product guy and, uh, and ran the, that general manager uh, of that business unit. And we built uh, some interesting silicon to bridge optical and IP domains together. Uh, and uh, uh, fast forwarding that, uh, the next step out, I said, you know, silicon is a hard business. Uh, luckily, we were acquired by NetLogic, which is now part of Broadcom. Uh, so we had a decent exit, but it was a hard way of doing it. Uh, it's hard enough in any industry to look at uh, what is going to happen in a year or two out. In silicon, you have to look at five to seven years out, right. because by the time you get the silicon and get it into a hardware, uh, and it's deployed in mass scale, it's a seven, five to seven year cycle. So that was a very hard problem to uh, you know get it right, uh, and you always you know there's maybe more failures than, than successes in, in doing it right. So I got, went back and did another startup in the big space, data space uh, after that uh, and looked at telco uh, data, operational as well as for the business purposes uh, of ensuring that we can en enable a lot of uh, a lot more agility in decision making within the telco. Right. Right. And, and telco industry, as all of us know, has, uh, is pretty, pretty long term view. Things are difficult to change. They have been doing things uh, one way in hun for hundreds of years or tens of years in many cases. And uh, in that scenario, it became uh, clear that uh, any help they can get uh, uh, with making decisions faster would be useful. So we pitched this to Sprint in the US uh, and then Verizon and then AT&T and, and, and my company, Guavis's uh, products were used to look at every mobile placket going in through Verizon, Sprint and AT&T later. Wow. So it's been deployed for that long and then you know, that was acquired by another uh, company out of, uh, out of France called Thales. Uh, so we are part of Thales now. Wow, okay. uh, and that made me uh, like kind of take a pause and said, okay, I've been doing this startup thing and been on that uh, treadmill for a while. I wanted to look at things more holistically. And uh, uh, I was, uh, had met uh, Guru Parulkar, the executive director of ONF uh, today, uh, when we were both at Cisco uh, in back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, he's, he had been acquired and I had been acquired. So we worked together and then I, and then I'd, followed Guru's trajectory and he went to Stanford where that's where SDN started as a clean slate project and uh, we uh, we said uh, you know this is an interesting way of looking at the world you right. know, what we if you bring software you bring agility anywhere you bring software right uh, it's much easier to spin software than spin a silicon uh, or, or a hardware device sure so that was that was the the, the genesis of kind of my looking at that world and uh, at the same time, you know, everyone has seen what Linux had done to open source uh, from the operating system perspective, from the compute perspective. So we wanted to marry those two. Got it. Right. And, right, right. Uh, and there was this three organizations which came out of Stanford's uh, this Clean Slate project. Uh, uh, two of them, one was ONF, the old ONF, which was a standards organization, and that's where uh, standards like OpenFlow uh, was were created. And the goal was just to create to evangelize SDN as an alternative way of doing uh, technology, uh, networking, and uh, networking in all cases, uh, enterprise as well as uh, telco. And then the second uh, group which was created was called Open Networking Lab. 
Okay. Right. And uh, Open Networking Lab was the one which was focused on, on software and creating open source software and primarily focused on the telco, very robust, high scale, high availability environment which a telco requires, right? It's a very different environment than an enterprise software. So uh, over, you know, for five, six years, this, these two organizations kind of coexisted. One did evangelism and standards, one did open source. And then the board, which is all led by operators, felt that really our charter of evangelizing SDN is now already over. Right. Everyone, anyone who is doing networking today uh, at least uses the, the moniker SDN That's on right. their products. Right, Whether right. They, they really do SDN or not is, is debatable. <laughs> 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 but right. at least the purists in Stanford and Berkeley and, and Princeton don't think uh, most of these products are real SDN. And we can, that's a different discussion. Different car. <laughs> <laughs> right. right, right. Uh, but uh, uh, so the board decided that they would join ONF and ONLAB, an organization. So the new ONF, which was created about two, uh, two years ago, is mostly focused on the open source part of that business. And, I see. And what my role there is uh, vice president of solutions and partnerships. We are, a, you know, a, a, we need funding. We have a small team of 30 people. Uh, that's kind of the core team which uh, pre creates this architectures and reference designs and exemplar platforms as we call it. And to make sure that they are not influenced by any particular vendor, that's right. our, our kind of our key differentiation from other op open source bodies, which are typically dom dominated by vendors. Right. Right. And and that's where the, obviously the skill sets are, the, the engineering uh, talent is. So, and but at the end of the day, each each of those uh, people who are working on those bodies are employed by someone else right. as a day job, mm -hmm. and their biases and their influences and uh, all of that. So we wanted an unbiased way of uh, trying to uh, get the right technology, the technology because which is right to do, not because it's convenient to do for a particular X, Y, or Z. It's a great point. I do want to dig into that. I mean, so, so that's, thank you for walking us back. I mean, your fingerprints are all over the industry, right? right? I mean, so that's, that's a, a testament to your, your desire to help people uh, in this industry, so thank you for that. For sure. And I, I, I agree. I think the the mission that you're talking about is there's a couple f folks in the industry that have uh, different perspectives on openness and standards and SDN. Right? There's different flavors of that. Mm -hmm. And and I, you hit a great point, right? So how do we not design um, with bias? How do you unbias that kind of thinking, right? And so you guys position yourself as operator led. Yes. Right. And so. The you know just kind of clarify that for us sure. a little bit because there are some more proprietary efforts that are going on and there's some ambiguity right so help help the listeners understand what they should be thinking about and um, giving them a perspective rather than just kind of a marketing uh, consumption there no fair uh, so I think the what what is operator led really mean right uh, operators are really in in our industry the telecom industry the uh, the primary uh, places where our technology gets deployed, okay. which then customers, their consumers, their customers are, or consumers get to use, whether they are uh, you know, individuals or uh, enterprises or government agencies. All of us, obviously, over the time have used more and more of telecom uh, services, right? Uh, so uh, by being operator-led, uh, there, there are pluses and minuses, frankly. Pluses are they know exactly what their customer base wants and what their pain points are. So a simple thing which is pretty evident for anyone in this industry is the, the traffic growth 
and the endpoint growth from IoT or mobile cases is exponentially grown over the last 10 years. And you can look at every, every vendors or every telecos chart to show that. But which is also obvious is their revenues have plateaued or in some cases the ARPU has gone down. Right. Right. So it doesn't take a math genius to figure out that that when your your OPEX and CAPEX, which are proportional to your, your consumption of your data or, or growth of your data, are also going kind of symmetrically uh, in that exponential manner. Uh, and your ARPU is not increasing. Something has to give. Right. 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 So and I think John Donovan of AT&T about three years ago when he just uh, announced the Domain 2.0 project, which AT&T was on about, said that uh, if we don't do it in 10 years, we'll be extinct. Right. You're right, and at 20 years, whatever time frame he said, I don't remember. But that, that, was, that is exactly the problem we are trying to solve. How do you make sure that that's, the industry remains robust and, and, and uh, capable without doing it? So that's why having an operator-led mission is important and also takes care of the biases, right? Uh, there are big incumbent uh, vendors, uh, the Cisco, Huawei, Nokia's, Ericsson's uh, of the world, who have done business very successfully for the last 20, 30, 50 years. Uh, and uh, there is no reason for them to want to give up those large margins, their yeah. way of business, putting everything in hardware, make it close proprietary. And every time you have a new protocol, they add stuff to it without taking it away. Yes. So what operators have told us, and this is uh, again, uh, when they sit on our board, a typical operator uses less than 30% of a, a device's capabilities. But they pay for all 100% right. because there's no way of picking and choosing what right. you want. Yep. Right? Yep. So if an MP, yeah, you are an MP, MPLS user, you use MPLS, but everything else in this box runs is capable of doing anything else, right? whether it's a layer 2, layer 3, or layer 7. But you pay for it. So it, the disaggregation of that monolithic architecture is what came to being. And, and that is the, the key kind of, you know, if you I, at one of my startups, the board, when they hired me, gave me a book by Malcolm Goldsmith. And that is Marshall Goldsmith. Is, uh, the book was called, What Got You Here Is Not Going to Get You There. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And, and what, that basically the subtitle of that was, What Made You Successful is not going to, if for, more, for becoming more successful, those, those mechanisms are not going to work. Right. Right. And I can look up the exact title, but you know, th roughly. But that's true for any, any industry. Right. right and uh, uh, what has got us here the monolithic way of building hardware uh, uh, it served very well for the industry for the last 30 years but for the next 30 years uh, our, our uh, claim is and our thesis is that that is not going to scale it's really interesting because so from a server server driven excuse me a operator driven model right, right. and mm -hmm. there's so much transformation and disruption happening in this market space right so i think Standards have been around for a long time, right? So a lot of people might be thinking, well, why now? We've had standards for years, and there's always been flavors of people um, adhering to standards. But no, I Pete, you make a, a very important point. Yep. We are not a standards organization. Okay. And that is the key decision uh, decision we made by combining these two organizations. I talked about ONLAB right, right. and ONF. Uh, we, we realized that standards, the way, again, that's the way it's been done for the last 30 years in IETF and uh, you know, G3GPP and others you go and do paper designs and you argue about every clause and every protocol right. and every every knob uh, in there for years and some <laughs> months at a time and yeah. then you come up with a standard and then implementation starts we are really turning that process upside down 
You Great. do implement things first. You write software first. If it works and the industry sees that there is potential of getting this, then you start standardizing the interfaces and in between those disaggregated components of the software. I see. So what this is what we call software-defined standards. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, from yeah. the software-defined networking, there's software-defined yeah. standards. And no. that's another another interesting perspective of how you bring that to the market. Yeah, and I think that's a great that's a great clarification. Thank you. And and you mentioned before about your folks around the tier ones, right? right. And a lot of our listeners are tier two and tier three, okay. right? And so helping them understand your mission is is useful, but also to help us understand the strategy of focusing on the tier one there. Sure. Uh, so, uh, doing software-defined networking uh, requires a change in multiple levels in an organization like a telecom organization. One is obviously going away from this monolithic hardware. I'm buying a hardware. I'm buying a box mentality, right? And procurement is you know is very tuned to. I buy this version of the box, and uh, this has this speeds and this feeds. How many ports? How many? Uh, how you know what are the speeds on them? And uh, and the industry has kind of trained itself on doing that okay. uh, well. When you start buying disaggregated components, uh, each by each component, the pricing, how that works together is difficult. So you really need to fit into the current model. You need someone to integrate those disaggregated <laughs> pieces sure. into a solution. So and that solution then, if those pieces come from d multiple places. The another thing in the industry is there's you know this requirement by all operators to have one neck to choke. Right. <laughs> so when something goes wrong, there's one 800 number they can call. Right. Rather than 30 people. Right. Sure. And saying then finger pointing happens and all of those things happen. So, this, so to fit into that mod model, we said the small, medium who would have maybe easier a way of trying this new technology out in their networks. Technologically or the, from the a proof of concept or a trial perspective, they would be very happy to do it. But when it came to deployment, they would have a lot harder time sure. because they would have to transform this whole industry and they don't have the skills and the people required to do that within their organization. Okay. And it's very difficult to do. Right. So uh, it requires a change. And so you needed a large enough uh, organization like AT&T, like a Comcast, like a Verizon, like a, uh, uh, you know, in Deutsche Telekom in, in Europe, where we are sitting. Uh, to come in and say, yes, we are willing to put a 100-people team out of our thousands of uh, engineers and, and smart people who are focused on driving this kernel of change in a very, very small location. Sure. Right? So, so our, another thing which I didn't mention earlier, maybe this is interesting for the viewers to understand, is our focus is the edge or the uh, of the network and the, and the access part of the network, not the core of the network. Okay. And that was also done strategically because of two reasons. One, that's, you know, for every uh, core, there are lots of edge points. So the problem of CapEx and OpEx gets multiplied, right? So when you, when you think about in the, the famous uh, story about some reporter asking a bank robber, why did you rank, rob the bank? The answer is, that's where the money is, right? right. <laughs> right? Yep. So if you want to try to save CapEx and OpEx, you attack the problem where, uh, yes. where the problem is most acute. And, and that happens to be the, the edge of edge. the network, right? Got and it. the central offices, right? And, and the whole architecture of central office re-architecture as a data center was uh, ONF invention because of that, right? We wanted to bring the, the key uh, benefits of what uh, Google uh, and Amazon of the world have done 
by creating large data centers in, in the cloud, okay. using merchant silicon, using uh, hardware which is white boxed. They don't buy from the typical OEMs, their right. networking gear or their compute gear. They build their own through ODMs and others. Uh, we wanted to bring that same thing to the telcos. So that's why the central office re-architected the data, data center idea came to being. Right? Gotcha. So you said a lot there, right? And yeah. so I think the idea that you talked about the disaggregation is similar to maybe microservices or service-oriented architecture in, in software development, right? Where you start decoupling monolithic systems into more serviceable, individual, specific serviceable components. Is that a good analogy? Uh, that, so that the microservices part is the implementation of that strategy. The okay. strategy is first to decide okay. that a router has this 20, 20 blocks it's made up of. Right. And as I said earlier, in a typical telco, you use only 10 of those 20 or 7 of the 20. Sure. Right? So, at least be able to say, I only want to instantiate in my network this 7 out of the 20 functional blocks. Right. Now, how do you implement those seven blocks? Could be microservices, Docker, VMs, and so on and so forth. So we obviously are a microservices cloud-like, uh, cl cloud service-oriented architecture. Yep. So we use Kubernetes and things like that to do that, but that's the implementation choice. That's decoupled from the strategic choice of just disaggregation. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. The other piece you said there, and I think it's really interesting, so going back to attacking the tier ones, really you're leveraging their two, twofold. One is that you see that there's a an impact through the, a structural impact through this choice, right? From procuring, right? You're, you're changing how people buy systems, right? Which in some companies is uh, hard to do, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then you're also examining how the deployment options, right? And then, and so tier ones have some flexibility, have some investment dollars, have some bodies to invest in exploring how that change really ripples through their business, right? Whereas the tier two and tier three, it's much more of a bigger gamble because it's a larger percentage of the resources and transformational effort, if you will. It is, and, and I think you rightly said, so the bigger guys, uh, once they have decided to go to this architecture and they start to think about production deployment, they need to now find the right supply chain Right. And the supply chain has to change. Right. It cannot be the same old guys. Right. right? So uh, what ONF does through its membership is creates a curated supply chain for every solution it brings to market. That's great. Right. And those supply chains, uh, supply ch suppliers look very different than a typical incumbent supplier for right. these operators. And that's another reason why uh, the tier one operators who have a lot more muscle in creating the right supply chain. Sure. Uh, are more successful in at least being the first to adopt these technologies. And that's what our thesis was, and it seemed to have played out where Comcast has just announced in September that they have now gone live with the first fabric, uh, f which is SDN-based in the network, serving 20-plus uh, geographies, to hundreds of thousands of customers uh, with uh, what we call Trellis, uh, which is a SDN fabric. So that's great. I mean, so you're out in front of the industry helping the buyers in the Tier 2 and Tier 3 by redefining and, and helping folks rethink that, whereas if somebody in Tier 2 or tier three had an innovative idea, they, it's, it's an uphill battle for them to try to convince everybody up and down the food chain Correct. to think this way. But uh, saying, having said that, we would still invite those tier two, tier three individuals to come and work with ONF. And ONF is an open source uh, organization. It's an open organization. Any at their membership tiers at every level, you don't have to be the top okay. tier member to be part of it. Uh, the se seven operators who are only the top tier members, right? Uh, but there are about 30 others, uh, 40 others uh, around the world who are at the second tier. 
and every tier two can start playing with this, uh, can put this in their labs. And now that we are seeing the tier ones going to production with Trellis already with Comcast, as I mentioned, next year, uh, hopefully when we are back here in BBWF, you would hear AT&T, Turk Telecom, and Deutsche Telecom having gone live with the, the SDN-enabled broadband access, the SIBA project. Great. Right, and we are getting that done. So, And that was my next question for you, is really in the maturity mm -hmm. continuum, where are we? And Very it good. sounds like you're getting into, you know, kind of early majority, late majority adoption, and it's time for those two and two, tier two and threes to engage at a higher level. Right, so the risk of uh, whether this is feasible is now gone. All right. Great. Uh, uh, so I think uh, about three years ago, if you had asked me this question, I would have said the risk is, you know, I don't know, 50% chance that this will work, 50% chance it will not work like any research project. Sure. Right. Uh, or uh, any new project. Uh, today, the clock has gone to the other side where it is not, not a question of if it will work. It, it is working. Right. It is deployed. It requires change. It is hard. It is not easy for to, to go through the change. If you don't go through the change, you would be roadkill. Is an, another well, that, message I want to. When, when <laughs> is that time frame? Not to not to not to lead with fear, right? right. But there's yeah. a lot of transformational issues that if people aren't thinking about them today, they're already too late, right? right. Is exactly. this one of those areas? You think? I think it is, especially okay. when on both sides, on the operator side and the supplier side, right? The operator side, like we talked about, the ARPU and uh, and uh, uh, with that going down, especially in the tier two and the kind of economically, uh, you know. Up upcoming regions, uh, I'm thinking of people, places like China and, and Brazil and India, uh, where a gigabit of, of mobile bandwidth costs peanuts. Yep. And we in, in the US are used to paying $100 per, per, month. per, per month. They yeah. can they barely pay two or three right. for the same or more because most of them consume a lot more video on their mobile devices than they're at their homes. Right. So for those people, and these are the, the tier twos or tier three uh, operators, if you don't change and you continue to buy from the same incumbents, at some point your <laughs> it's the math is not going to work. Right, right, uh, and uh, so that's one. The supplier side the same way, right? Uh, if you if you stick to your original business of selling boxes and proprietary boxes and support services on top of that and all of that, uh, it, if your customer is bleeding, uh, they they just cannot buy more. Right, right. So uh, they are going to look at options. Yeah, and there's tons of disruption, right? I mean, just look at Blockbuster Video and all these other markets. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. so we don't need to jump on that. But I, but I appreciate that honesty because I do feel like there's a lot of people, there's a lot of pregnant uh, anxiety and excitement in this marketplace. Right. right. So it means any, any project has two risks, technology risk as well as a market risk. Right. right? And we are surely behind the technology risk. Right. right. I would be also honest and say the market business models have still not been crystallized of how an operator would work, work with a system integrator who takes this multiple open source projects together. And ONF is just one part of that. There's gonna be things like uh, ONAP and, 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 uh, and other projects from BBF and others, which people would have to put together to build the whole ecosystem of you know, what is operational systems and BSSs and OSSs and the access gear and all of that. So that would take a different, and that part is what you are to now wait and see and in the next two years. So when the answer is when it'll be too late, by 2022 it'll be too late if you are not already figured this out. Right. Right. Because someone would have figured it out and, and kind of uh, got it to working at scale. Right. Right. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So how do, uh, how do people find out more about you and the Open uh, Networking Foundation? 
So again, we are an open source organization and an open networking organization. So everything we do is in the open. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Uh, go to our website, okay. uh, opennetworking.org. Uh, there are links which lead to every project. Uh, who is on our board? Who is uh, who is driving it? There are technical steering teams for every project, which are open uh, to all the members. Uh, and becoming a member for small organizations is uh, you know a few thousand dollars a year. To uh, you know, if you want to be on the steering on, on the steering committee of those things, and then it gets a little more expensive. But for a telco, spending half a million dollars a year, when the transformational na nature of that is in the hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, is is what the bet this all all these people are making. Right. They are putting this money into a common pool. There's a common R and D which is done through ONF and in the ecosystem and the community, and uh, the risks and rewards are shared. So uh, another key point to which you might want to, to leave the operators with is uh, all operators have a 60 to 70 percent of their stack of technology is undifferentiated. Right. And that's the only piece we are focused on. Right. That your secret sauce, which is on the top 20, 30 percent, you go and figure that out through your preferred partners. Sure. Right. Uh, we are not trying to open everything. So this is open is not that we are trying to make the Apple card go into a socialistic kind of, every, there's no money to be paid. Open is not free. Open is pragmatic. Right. And where it doesn't make sense, where you're not differentiating yourself and it's, there's commonality, we are, we are creating open source standards and open source uh, software around it. Thank you much for walking us through that. And I think you're right about the, the appetite for open and open source open thinking and collaboration has definitely shifted in the last 10 to 15 years. And I do think the window is closing for some operators and providers. Um, and you guys are certainly leading the way. You, you know, unfortunately, if you haven't been able to come to this event, you guys have a, an amazing setup and some demonstration, which is really, um, really brings all this together. Right. I know you mentioned you're, you have 15 or 17 events a year. What, you have something coming up that you're going to be at where people can try to track you down? Yes, uh, we, we participate in all major industry events, uh, BBWF, uh, Mobile World Congress. So we'll be in Mobile World Congress Americas next next week. Uh, we'll be in TIP Summit and OCP Summits are two kind of complementary open hardware uh, groups which we work with. So OCP, Open Compute Project and Telecom Infra Project are two uh, entities we work with very closely. So we go to their events. We host our own event uh, every every September in the, in the Bay Area, uh, which is called ONF Connect. So if, uh, you, uh, if you're really interested, you should come and check it out. You will hear it from, from AT&T's Andre Furches of the world and the Deutsche Telekom's uh, Yoakum Apple of what their plans are. Great. Mm -hmm. Asim Parikh from Open Networking Foundation live at the Broadband World Forum. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed Thank it. Thank you, Pete. Thank you.